to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. And we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, they're really starting to get messy now in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. And for the next few months, we're going to be having conversations with delegates from this past synod to talk about what happened and where we go from here. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday. We also want to say a big thank you to everyone who has sponsored us on Patreon. We are slowly making our way to our modest goal of 20 subscribers at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com backslash The Messy Reformation. We've also created a Facebook page where we're putting out some additional content, so we'd love for you to find us at facebook.com backslash The Messy Reformation. There you can like our page and get more updates. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of Willie and I's conversation about this past synod. have been comments not directed directly at me but at how synod had um held um or the christian reformed church has an idol of clarity and uh and so um from those who are really unhappy with our decisions and so that's i think that's that's just discouraging to me that that anybody would think that clarity is a bad thing I, that just uh, that just throws me off and that was what I kept trying to speak to, that clarity actually is helpful for pastoral guidance. It's not just a doctrine. It's not that we just want to be right, um, but we need clarity on how to shepherd our people. We need to show them the path toward righteousness, or like I said from the floor, um, we need to be able to show people how to live into the wholehearted joy in God through Christ. And uh, if we don't have clarity, we can't show them how to how to walk into that. So that <clears throat> that was discouraging. Also, I was discouraged. Another word that I found myself saying quite often was uh, tone deaf. Yeah. That there was, there was a tone deafness um, coming out of delegates, but not just delegates, even just denominational representatives, who I think are probably even orthodox on these positions but they were just tone deaf to some of the things that they were saying and so i heard i heard people say that uh we can't ask we can't ask these professors what their position is on the human sexuality report we just have to ask them whether they would abide by whatever decision that the christian reformed church makes right and for me i thought that is a tone deaf reasoning. That's tone deaf. Um, there's, there's no conservative in the CRC that thinks, yeah, that's a great way to ask the question. That there's no conservative that's going to be happy with a professor or, or anybody saying, yeah, I'll go either way. If, if they vote to, 
if the church votes to be completely affirming, I'll, I'll do that. And if the church votes to, to not be affirming, I'll do that. I'm fine either way, because that just shows a lack of conviction. And, and so the fact and integrity, a hundred percent. And so um, the fact that there's this idea out there, even amongst probably some Orthodox members, that that's a good answer just shows that there's a tone deafness out there. And, uh, and uh, I guess maybe I'm just going to throw them under the bus, but it's an echo. It's a tone deafness that comes from the echo chamber of Grand Rapids. And so I think there's just something going on there where they have no idea what's going on in the rest of the denomination, especially us out in the hinterlands of Wisconsin and Minnesota and, and lo and behold, Montana, right? Um, like they just don't know uh, what's going on. And so I don't know what we need to do about that. But anyways, that was really discouraging because I think they have no idea what the rest of us are thinking and acting on these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that was something that was revealed to uh, people in, in those corners. The fact that, oh, wow, I am kind of out of date and out of touch with with the broader body here. Um, I, I really do think that um, having clarity and definitiveness on these issues lets people know, wow, am I really in a 20 to 25% minority here? Maybe I better start reconsidering these things. Maybe I better start honestly, you know, self-examining myself and, and discerning how the spirit is working in and convicting me on these matters. So I hope that was an attitude that came out of some people in that camp coming out of synod, because yeah, I, I think you're right. This, this kind of, well, you know, can I, I, I could go one way or the other, or even, uh, yeah, I, I might not, I might not agree with the statements that we made, but I'll still serve anyway. It's it's like we've said there. There's no honor in that, and there's no integrity in that, and in my and there's no conviction in that. I, I think a Martin Luther, when he uh, was at the Diet of Worms, and you know he says, you know, I, unless I'm convicted by Scripture and not by councils and popes who have so often contradicted themselves, my conscience is captive to the Word of God. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand; I can do no other. God help me. And it's that conviction that I saw very absent in the minds of quite a few people at Synod. So I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. And I want to say one more thing that was discouraging to me, and I want to be careful. Um, but I, I, I really feel like I want to say it because it, it was really discouraging. Um, part of, so part of uh, being at Synod was the, the moratorium on social media from delegates, right? They said, uh, basically, you know, they encouraged us stay off it completely, um, but don't be influenced by it and don't post anything on social media. That's one of the reasons why we didn't do any, um, any podcasts during the event. Um, so after Synod was over and we were cruising back um, and got home, eventually I got on and kind of scrolled through my social media feed a little bit. I didn't want to go too much because um, anyways, but one of the, one of the, I expected there to be anger and frustration and, and it's actually been really vicious what's going on on social media for those who 
were very angry at, about the decisions that we made um, and who were hoping that we would become more affirming as a denomination. I expected that. That actually wasn't that discouraging to me. I expected that. What was discouraging for me was going on and seeing some conservatives who were really, who seemed really angry that we didn't go far enough and that we didn't do enough or we didn't take strong enough action and that we didn't, you know, rid the denomination of every false teacher all in one synod. And uh, I, that was really discouraging. We, like I said, I, we spent the whole week fighting. Um, I thought we came out with good victories, good decisions, um, taking good action, and then to come out and then to hear some people say, like, yeah, you didn't really do enough. You should have done more and uh, um, and kind of be dismissive about it. That that was discouraging to me. I wouldn't say that was everybody. I think it's, again, it's probably a smaller minority amongst conservatives. But, yeah, that, that was hard to hear um, coming out of it because I felt like we had – good unity and uh and we're following the leading of the spirit while we were there yeah if i can just speak to that uh i would say probably the last two days of synod most of the conversations that i was in you know amongst conservative orthodox guys was that exact notion um people felt oh we're not going that far and i kept saying uh, a couple of things first for people who were watching and saying those things it's one thing to watch this over a live stream in the comfort of your home, uh, putting yourself, you know, existentially and vicariously in the room and saying, oh, this is what I would have done, or I think you should have gone further here. It's another thing to actually be in that room. It's yes. another thing to actually see what is going on on the floor of Synod. It's another thing to actually being able to look these people, you know, whether they're orthodox or progressive, revisionist, affirming, whatever you want to call them, it's another thing to look them in the eyes and see exactly what is going on. Uh, so I would say people who made comments such, you know, to the effect of you're not doing enough, uh, I would say, well, you can afford to make statements like that because you're not there. Um, now, people who weren't there but maybe had served at other synods before, I think we're able to suppress some of those voices and say there is a level of reading of that room that we cannot do. Um, so I, I think that was true. I think it's also true that we need to take comfort in the fact, and we were very decisive and clear about four things. Penal substitutionary atonement, uh, the majority report of the HSR being passed, confessional status being passed, and disciplinary measures being passed. That is so much that we got done, that we accomplished. Our, and our generation has never seen its like. So I think we need to be resting, uh, not just in how the delegates and others had been, you know, laboring in these things, but it's about how God has worked in the minds and hearts of those who were in that body. So that would be my word of caution and exhortation to, to anybody watching who would maybe disagree with us. Yeah, amen. 100%. Yeah, and that's uh and that was uh something I kind of alluded to in last week's podcast is uh just this idea that I I realized and this is kind of the next question. One of the things, what did you learn about yourself and the CRC? And one of the things I learned about myself is that I really do think like a church revitalizer. And I realized that every, you know, it's 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 baby steps in the right direction. And so if you've 
if you've ever been in a church that has never done church discipline in its life, you're not going to come right out of the gates um, and, and do church discipline well or perfectly or even decisively. You have to have small wins along the way. And so like for the Christian Reformed Church, this is the first time in over 20 years that we've taken disciplinary action on a congregation. Mm-hmm. And people have been trying to for a very long time. And they, the Synod keeps saying, no, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. And so the fact that we actually did that is huge. And, and I, think, I think everybody needs to realize nobody thinks that we were, were done uh, working after this one synod. We, we accomplished these four things, and next synod, we've got more things to accomplish, and the one after that, we've got more to accomplish. That's just how this goes. But uh, yeah, I hope people are encouraged. I, I, um, I hope the vast majority of people are encouraged by what got done. And like I've kept reminding people, um, 75% of the delegates at Synod were in favor of all four of these things. And I would say if we spread that out to the pew, probably even more, I bet 80% to 85% of people in the pew um, were in favor of what just happened. And so um, that, that's, that's huge. That's something for us to remember. Yeah, I agree with that. What was the exact question again? What's something that you learned about yourself? Yeah, what did you learn about yourself and uh, and the CRC just in general uh, while at Synod? Mm-hmm. Maybe on a personal note, um, you know, something that I already knew about myself was that um, I am an introvert. And going into a Synod where you have to be in meetings all day and then... Uh, even, you know, fellowship afterwards, you know, conti- you continue to broaden your network. Um, I learned that functioning at Synod is something that I, I, I was actually starting to get the hang of uh, toward the end. Uh, am I saying that I was not tired coming off of Synod? No, that's not what I was saying. You can ask anybody. You can ask my wife. I went home and went to bed and I slept well. <laughs> Um, but I do have to say, I did learn personally that, um, the Lord has given me a uh, love for his church and for the process that he has given us as a denomination to work through these matters. And, uh, it's become more possible for me to survive in that realm. So personally, that was something that I learned about myself. Um, now, as far as something that I learned about the state of our denomination, um, it's that we love two things. We love Jesus Christ and his word, and we also love his church. Anytime I heard someone who is Orthodox get up and speak, it was not in a heavy-handed, you know, I'm going to use doctrine as a club against you kind of way. I understand those accusations were leveled against such people, and I think that was wrong, and I think that was misguided. I saw the loving, tender mercy of those who had been shepherding the flock of God that is among them and who had been deliberating over these matters for days, who really love the church of Jesus Christ. They care about her purity, her holiness, and her instruction in the word of God, as well as discipleship and sanctification. Uh, And I think if we if we are to toss any of those away and to say we we just need affirming love over all of those, then we would be undone. But that isn't what I saw. What I saw was 
a love and a humility that considers others more significant than ourselves. Hold sway and hold fast above all else. So that was very encouraging for me to see. So that's what I learned about the state of our denomination this week. Yeah. <clears throat> Amen. I, I 100% agree that uh, I, was, I was strongly encouraged um, by, by, the, by the Orthodox delegates speaking um, their love for the church and for, for those who are struggling with, with homosexual desire, or gender identity, or any of that. I think um, one of the false accusations that kept being kind of leveled against us was that, um, you know, us Orthodox people don't know anybody struggling with these things. And if we did actually know people, we would maybe change our position. And yet the reality is most of the people I talk to have friends, relatives, congregants who are struggling with all of these things, struggling with pornography, struggling with adultery, struggling with homosexual uh, orientation, struggling with gender identity stuff. I know people like this. I'm ministering to people like this all the time. And so, um, and I was encouraged that there's a lot of other people who are as well. And none of them are actually, like you said, none of them are actually using scripture as a club. That was something at one time, but I don't mm -hmm. think it is anymore. Mm -hmm. And I don't think using the confessions are using them like a club anymore either. I, I think that was something that happened at one point in the CRC. And, and my point of view, as I'm looking at all of the deliberations that happened on the floor and all of the conversations I had um, off the floor in between sessions, were that people genuinely, genuinely love um, the church, like you said, but also the lost. And so there were, I mean, I, I talked to a number of Orthodox delegates who, when we had protesters gathered outside, they went over and spoke and, and encouraged, and, um, and they weren't saying they affirmed the protesters in their gender identity or in their ideas, but, but they came over and spoke to them and, and loved them and wanted to, to point them to faithfulness in Christ. And so I think, I think uh, we need to just break that false narrative about, about Orthodox people. Um, another thing I think I learned about the CRC, and this is maybe kind of just a, a funny thing, I suppose, but I think I learned that uh, we don't make decisions quickly, right? And I know that people, that's always the joke that the CRC takes forever to make any decision. But I was reflecting on the decision regarding the, the footnote in the catechism, right? Mm -hmm. And so many people were saying, like, this seems like a logical conclusion for us to put a footnote in the catechism clarifying what the word unchastity means. And again, I said, we need clarity on this. Obviously, we don't have clarity because we have been debating this already for like six hours. What does that word mean? So obviously, we need some clarity. Mm -hmm. I mean, yet that vote was defeated, right? I mean, and it was defeated. It was defeated by like 51, 52%. So it was pretty close where all of the other mm -hmm. votes were so definitive. But this one was really close. And I think, I think it's because nobody people didn't have time to actually think about that prior to synod. Mm -hmm. Like all of these other votes were so definitive because people had time to think about it and they had processed it. They had made arguments for it. They, they kind of knew where they were at coming into synod. And so we voted definitively, but, but this idea of a footnote in the, in the catechism was a new thing that they hadn't had time to think about. And people thought, well, maybe we would like that. I'm not sure. 
Um, and so they it got voted down. And so I think that's helpful for everyone. And even some, um, as we as we look to the future, there's an there. It's really important for us to give people time to think about these issues ahead of time, because it takes us a while as a denomination to really firmly uh, stand anywhere. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think it was Jewel Maidenblick uh, from Calvin Seminary. Uh, he said he had was it ten or eleven interviews before he actually got his position. <laughs> yeah, eleven. Yeah, eleven. And he said it's because the CRC has procedures and they like to do things well, and then we like to do them again, and then again, and then again. <laughs> so uh, I, I understand exactly what he's what he's getting at there, um, and I, I do agree with you that um, yeah, some people there were things obviously that that they could see coming on the forecast. And then other things, you know, such as the footnote where it's like, wow, I, I have not really put my mind to that. I, I'm not sure that I'm ready to make a definitive decision about about that yet. Um, and then, yeah, as you stated, it was I, 51, 52 percent. It was it was incredibly close. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you are doing exactly what you were supposed to do as a delegate and you were reading the room right um, in your analysis there. So I completely agree. So I'd be curious, Willie, what, uh, how is I, so I, uh, I took this weekend off, so I haven't been back to my congregation since Synod. So I don't know how my congregation is responding, uh, to these decisions made at Synod, but I think you've been back to your church. Uh, what's the read in your congregation? How are they responding to what just happened at Synod? Yeah, you're exactly correct. Um, I did get to take a day, day and a half break, kind of mini vacation, um, just to kind of hit reset and just regroup. But I was able to be in my church yesterday for the Lord's Day, and I got many uh, questions. And the the first one from everybody was, well, how was Synod? And I found that a very complex question to answer that I ended up having to parse out in, in two sections. So I would always I would always ask them the question, well, what do I think of the results or what did I think of the process? And of course, they say, well, both. We we want your answer to both. And I gave them the answers that I thought of the results very quickly. I said, I'm very happy with the results of Synod. Um, I like I said, I think biblically, scripturally, um, mentally, these these decisions were were right in front of us and have been in front of us. God has spoken. However, on a mental level, emotional level, and a spiritual level, it was a very hard week. Um, and I said, these, these will have ramifications. And um, I, I was telling people leading up to this, it's not just leading up to synod you should be praying for. It's not just the week of synod itself you should be praying for. But you should be praying for June 17th and 18th and 19th and the weeks to come, the months to come, and I would wager to guess the years to come. Um, and we need to be praying especially for those who do occupy offices, um, especially those who occupy the presbytery, um, who are elders and who are ministers, who are shepherding the flock of God um, that is among us. Um, because I, I'd imagine that they are beginning to feel, as our, as our confessions in order would say, the burdens of their office. And I think that's that's good for those of us who maybe aren't ministers, but who are our congregants to to just look at their pastor and just say thank you for all that you do, 
And uh, is there any way that I can, you know, walk alongside of you or maybe help you in this process? Um, or how can I be ministering to you during this time? So I got a sense in our church that people were very happy with the results. I did hear a couple people say, I do think it would be bad if we split because of this. And I understand that. These are people who have been in the CRC for 50 plus years. Um, so they've seen plenty of splits in their lifetime. Um, that being said, I, I did say, well, I did have a, a good friend say that I think on an issue like this, where both of us believe maybe the gospel is at stake, a split is probably inevitable. Uh, there does come a point where if you really believe that I'm doing damage to these people in the way that I minister to them or speak to them, uh, then why would you want to be in fellowship with me? At that same token, if I believe that their giving approval to these things leaves them under the condemnation in Romans chapter 1, then how can I be in good fellowship with these people? Uh, so I think no matter which way the decision came down, uh, separation, I believe, is inevitable. So how, however much I understand the notion that people don't want to just continue to break fellowship with people that maybe they have been in fellowship with for a long time. Um, I have to stay firmly grounded in the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And I have to stand very clear with how God has spoken, understanding that there do remain questions and there do remain pastoral and congregational implications and duties that are incumbent upon us uh, to be good stewards of going forward. So that was kind of the, the temperature of things in my church. Yeah. And I would say, uh, just to throw out, I received an email from a brother and I'm not going to say his name or the congregation that he's in, but he's, a he's an Orthodox brother and he was in favor. He was looking, he was hoping that the sexuality report would be approved and that it would be given, you know, the teachings of the report would be given to, uh, confessional status. And he, was hoping that disciplinary action would be taken on Neelan. So he was hoping all of those things were going to happen, and they did. Um, but the response in his church, and he's fairly new in his church, um, has been, he's had a lot of, it's, it's caused a huge mess in his church. Um, and he's had numerous conversations with people calling him and saying, does that mean I can't be a member in this church anymore? If I disagree with these teachings, does that mean, do I have to leave? my church? Do I have to? I mean, and so there, there is a lot of confusion. And uh, as we're known for saying, things are getting messy, and they will continue to get messy, and they will get even messier in the future. And so he had just emailed me just kind of wanting to vent a little bit and just to decompress because he's saying, man, I got what I wanted, but now things are such a mess in my church. And I I don't know what to do or where to move from here. And so I think it's important for people to realize that, you know, there are some churches that are rejoicing in the decisions that were made. And there are other churches that are reeling right now, trying to figure out how to, how to move forward. And so uh, I think you're right. Um, I've been saying this for so long, but I keep saying it. Um, this synod was step one in a long series of steps in reformation in our church. And so this, we drew some definitive lines. We walked out of it with a ton of clarity, which is a good thing. It's not an idol. 
goodness gracious. <laughs> um, um, we walked out of with some clarity and that clarity causes mess, right? And so there, there is going to be a mess here for a while. And so we want to be praying for our fellow brothers, our fellow churches. And uh, one of the things I, I think we need to be praying for is repentance as well. Um, and I know, I know because the, the rhetoric has been so high and there's been so, such frustration that, um, you know, some people have just wanted to kick everybody out who disagrees with these things. And yet I want to give some time for them to repent and say, here's where we stand. Here's where we, this is what we're saying scripture teaches on these issues. Now, um, will you repent and will you come back? And will you hold firmly to the truth? And will you walk and step with Jesus Christ? Will you do that? And I think we can give them a year to do that. And then next year we come back and, uh, and maybe we have to take stronger action because churches have refused to do that. But I think we need to give the opportunity for repentance. Isn't that the gospel that we speak mm-hmm. clearly about what sin is and people's need to turn from that sin? And then we give them an opportunity to repent. Yeah, and I I've said this to people, we have to want that more than the success of any decision that we made. Uh we we want to win souls to Christ. We want the church to stay healthy. And we have to want people to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. And calling them to repentance is incumbent upon all of us. So I, I do completely agree with you. I, I have to want people's salvation and people's repentance more than I want to be right about arguments. Um, otherwise, we're not really loving people. We are just, you know, a, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Um, but I want to manifest a love that covers a multitude of sins. Yeah. Amen. That was my, uh, I laughed uh, to my wife. She had told me, she's like, Hey, you were quoted in the banner. And I was like, Whoa, what was I quoted? She said, well, they said that you quoted scripture and they, and they said, you quoted Hebrews 12. And I said, well, I suppose <laughs> if I'm going to be quoted in the banner, I would, I'm, I'm glad that they quoted me quoting scripture. Um, yes. But I quoted that passage of Hebrews 12 that said, that if there is no discipline done, you're an illegitimate child. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and pointing to the fact that discipline is not designed to separate. We don't discipline our kids because we're trying to kick them out of the family. That's mm-hmm. not what we're doing. We're disciplined because we want them to repent. And, uh, and so that's the actions taken toward Neeland. I hope and pray that the spirit would, would convict them and convict their leadership and the, and that congregation and that they would repent and the numerous other churches too. Neelan's not the only one who has made these kind of decisions. And mm-hmm. so uh, my prayer is that the Holy spirit would convict them as well and that they would repent and, and turn to Christ and that we wouldn't have a split. However, if they refuse to repent, um, that's the point where we need to split. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the point where we do need to take action on it. And, uh, you know, Larry Louders, the, the elder from Neeland, he did say um, words, you're going to have to kick us out. Um, he said it with a smile on his face and a twinkle in his eye. Um, but he did say, um, we're not going anywhere. You're going to have to kick us out. And so um, I think that uh, 
that saddens me that that he didn't receive the correction and rebuke of the church. I'm going to pray that the spirit would move and change his heart. But um, let's not be surprised that if next year's synod, we need to take stronger action over Neeland Avenue and the numerous other churches who who have made uh, poor decisions in this regard. Mm-hmm. Yep, I I completely agree. Yeah, and that kind of we've been talking about this, but I just want to give you an opportunity to speak to it. Um, you know, coming out of synod now, looking at the looking toward next synod and looking just at the future of the CRC, where do you think we need to go from here, Willie? And what what steps do we need to start taking? Well, obviously, as a reformer, I think we need to be demonstrating the marks of the true church. Um, I think we need to continue laboring in uh, true preaching of the word of God, a right administration of the sacraments and also a faithful exercise of church discipline. Um, I I think we need to be laboring in these things, or we are undone as an Orthodox uh, church, and then we we become apostatized by neglecting those things. So those things, I think, are obviously of very serious importance. I do also hope that going forward, now that we have clarity on these matters— Um, I hope that we can now minister to um, LGBTQ plus people who we know and who we love, and we can say, we believe these things. And this is what I'm going to point you to. I'm going to keep pointing you to what the Word of God says, how He has revealed Himself, and who He says we are, not who we think we are. So that is what I hope to achieve going forward from here, is a better sense. Of, essentially, it's a better sense of how to do ministry. I remember you saying on the floor of Synod, actually, I have nothing to point these people to if we do not have clarity on these matters. And now that we do, let's exercise that clarity. Let's actually start being the hands and feet. And let's actually start... Um, edifying the body and building the church up and building up one another in love um, so that the elect may be as the sand of the sea. Um, and that's so we can continue to, to see God's promises and blessings flourish in this world that he's given us. So that's what I think we need going forward. Yeah. Amen. I'll just say amen to that. And also just say procedurally, let's, uh, let's keep people's feet to the fire on these things. Uh, our new general secretary, Zach King, is going to be overseeing the in loco committee, um, carrying out disciplinary action on Neeland. I think we need to make sure that that happens and that happens well. And if, and, uh, if that doesn't happen, then next year we need to take some people to task as well. And just keep realizing, I, uh, this is, I want to keep saying this is step one in the process of reformation here in the CRC. We've got steps two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10 coming up. It takes a long time. Mm-hmm. And so be patient, uh, stick with us. Don't leave us anytime soon, but, but be encouraged. I pray I, uh, you know, at the beginning of this, Paul Vander Clay had said, um, I have a feeling that the decisions at Senate are going to cause a bunch from the left to leave. Um, but also there's going to be some conservatives that are going to leave because there wasn't decisive enough action taken. Um, and so I want to speak 
because um, I know most of the people listening to this are the are the conservatives and in, in the denomination. And I just want to speak to you and say, uh, don't leave. Uh, be encouraged by what just happened at the Christian Reformed Church. We are the only denomination right now that has adopted an orthodox position on sexuality, made it binding on all of their office bearers, and is taking disciplinary action on a church for doing that. We're, I, I, we're about the only one I know of right now, and we're, we're getting worldwide attention for that because of what we did. So be encouraged by that and realize we're all in this together. We're all in this continuing to fight. So stick with us and come back next year and the next year and the next year and help us continue to see reformation happen in the CRC. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week to hear reflections from Andy Seitzman. Until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.